How's it going, my brothers and sisters? This is Steve Kitts. Thank you for joining us on During Bible Study Podcast. We'll open up in a prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you, Lord, for your wonderful grace and love. And we thank you, Lord, that you're with us and that these words, Lord, that you give us is something we can put in our hearts and use for your glory. Lift you up and give you the honor. In your blessed name we beg. Amen. Coming out of the wilderness. Now, the wilderness. What does wilderness teach us? Wilderness can be a place of spiritual discipline. It allows us to see the sinfulness of our hearts so God can change us. It's a painful path of learning that the errors of our ways and seeing the beauty of walking with God in His ways. God often withdraws blessings, including His felt presence in the wilderness. We often find ourselves going through things and needing to trust God to help us through it. The wilderness is dangerous and challenging. When I think of wilderness, I think of mountains, trees, bears, and other wild animals. An untamed land that is beautiful but deadly. In Numbers 22 and 1, it talks about the children of Israel set forth and pitched in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan by Jericho. For 40 years they wandered in the wilderness, and this was was all over. The Israelites had spent all that time coming out of Egypt and then wandering from camp to camp, sometimes staying quite a while in one place, or perhaps another, just a night in another place, then moving again, sometimes coming back to stay at the place that they'd been moving onward to a different place. Nevertheless, they're always marching towards the promised land, which is Canaan, their promised land. At this time, they camped across from Jericho, just steps away from going into the Promised Land. They could see the Promised Land. They were ready to cross the Jordan River and begin the conquest of taking Canaan, conquering the people there, and claiming it for themselves. As recorded in Numbers 21, they had just defeated the Amorites under the king Shadon, and they had smashed them, even, you know, just dominated, crushed them. Sion and the Amorites were the biggest power on the east bank of the Jordan. So their defeat was like swatting the fly to the Israelites. Then they went next to Bashan and defeated King Og and his army. King Og was part of the giants that lived in the promised land. King Og's bed was made of iron and measured 13.5 feet long. And it's still in existence today. You can look it up. But the Israelites decimated them. In this way, the whole eastern bank of the Jordan River became Israelite territory. They took it back. As the east bank and further south of the east of the Dead Sea, where Jordan enters, was the country of Moab. Israelites had marched right into the northern border opposite of Jericho. Israel was nothing like we see on TV or in the movies of Ten Commandments and things like that, where it's depicted of a the entire children of Israel being about 15 people and four or five sheep. Realistically, the estimate included that Israel consisted of perhaps two to three million people, plus all the livestock and all the gear that they'd brought with them. This was a long, large train of people that stretched for miles, and it took them a day or two to pass from the first person's place to the last person. 
Like if I stepped on a rock here, it would be days before somebody stepped on that same rock at the end of the trail. Israelite people was a huge and a mobile nation. Moab was perhaps about the same size as the children of Israel, and they watched all these people pass through the northern reach of their territory. They had heard how the Israelites had just dominated and and ravaged through King Sidon and King Od and all their people. So these people of Moab, they were frightened. They were scared of this group coming through. As Israel approached this region, God told them not to mess with the Moabites or the Edomites because they were distant relatives of the Israelites. In Deuteronomy 2 and 8 and 9, it says, When we pass by our brethren from the children of Esau, which dwell at Seir, through the way of the plain of Elath, and from Elamur, we turned and passed the way of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, Distress not the Moabs, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give thee of their land for possession, because I have given our unto the children of Lot for a possession. So evidently the Moabs and the Edomites were not aware of God's commandment because they figured that these three million people were a threat to them. While they were camped across from the Jericho, Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomies. He would also go to Mount Nebo and view the land of Israel, which was an inheritance. In Deuteronomies 32 and 48 through 52, it said, And the Lord spake unto Moses at that same self-day, saying, Get thee up on the mountain Aram unto Mount Nebo, which was the land of Moab, which is across from Jericho, and behold the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel for possession. And die in the mount whether you go upeth, and be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother died on Mount Hor, and gathered unto his people. Because ye trespass against me among the children of Israel at the water Merakabesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because ye sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet thou shalt see the land before thee, but thou shalt not go thither into the land which I have given the children of Israel. After that, Moses would die, and God would bury his body in the, ba- in the valley of Beth Peor. In Deuteronomy 34 and 6, he said he was buried in the valley of Moab over against Beth Peor, but no man knoweth his sepulchre unto this day. And we know from other stories that the devil wanted to take Moses' body for himself and to use it against God. And the archangel Michael went to gather up Moses' body and do what God told him to do with it. But he was confronted by the devil. And the, the greatness that we see here that Michael didn't fight with the devil. He said, Jesus, you'll have to take care of this one. And Jesus steps in. So the devil can't compare, can't hold a candle to Jesus. Once Jesus comes on the scene, the devil has to flee and he has to give up because Jesus conquered him. Jesus has more control than the devil, and remember that. So just the angel Michael, he was in heaven. He, he daily talks to God and Jesus. But he knows that he's no 
match for the devil, but once he brings Jesus on board, just like we do, things change. Joseph M. Wanted with the Constitutionalist Politics. Tune in for the upcoming episode for May 4. Issue, never the issue, as well as, yes, Peter Serafin, Rosemary Downer, Don Gallade, Gista the Rapper, Cy Young, Jason Perry, and upcoming Jack Hagar, Andrew Thorpe King, Trent Rock, Ed Temple, Chris Morehouse, and more. Please tune in to Constitutionalist Politics. God bless. So many events happened here in these final months while the Israelites were camped next to Moab. Much had been done before they had needed to go in. This time setting the events concerning Balaam. In Psalms 83, 1-8, says, Keep not thy silence, O God. Hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thy enemies make a tumult, and they hate thee, have lifted up my head. And they have taken crafty counsel against thy people, and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, Come, let us cut off from that being a nation, and that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one counsel, and they confederated against thee, the tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites, and of Moab and Haragonis, Gabal and Ammon, Amalek, and the Philistines inhabit of Tyre. Ashur also has joined with them, and they have Holden and the children of Lot, Shalom. So the nations listed in Psalms 83 comprise fairly completely of a rundown of the ancient enemies of Israel and Edom, which was a descendant of Esau and is given primary the place in that story they consulted together they went together they joined as a group after adam came the usual suspects was the ishamites the moabs the Hagarnites, the gibber uh, ammons amalekites the tyre assyria philistina and especially they were helping the children of lot the descendants of esau actually appeared three times on this list as the Amalites we can find them in Genesis 36 and 12 Jabal here was a region of Idum often confused with the Philotian city Jabal or Bilas their tribes became distinguished from the bulk of the Edomites Evidently, these tribes struck out on their own and eventually established their own identities and and groups. Amalek, in particular, was a thorn in Israel's side throughout the Bible. Bible history from about Genesis 16 on records that all these nations rose up against Israel and Judah particularly. Only very rarely did they ally with Israel for a length of time, and when they did, it's usually because they faced an even stronger and, and more dreaded enemy. They used the children of Israel to, to gain ground there. It seems that Israel had peace with them only when they conquered and were placed under tribute. Only major nations missed from this list of Israel 
persistent enemies was Egypt and Babylon. And there's several reasons for their omission. First, the context speaks particularly of historical confederacy against Israel, and Egypt and Babylon may have not been part of that. Second, the major powers of the region, Egypt and Babylon, were generally unconcerned about Israel, or at least they did not possess the visceral hate of God's people like the other nations did. Third, the people are mentioned here are neither ethnically related to Israel or lived close proximity of it, while Egypt and Babylon are not related to Israel or inhabited in the distant realms. Finally, the prophecy of these days in Psalms 83 was not considered Egypt or Babylon to present a physical people as did they later on. In fact, the physical Babylonian did not exist until the end of this time. The ancient cities lie in the ruins for the tourists in Iraq to behold. If Egypt, the modern Arab nation, is contemporary in this prophecy, they may be included in the Hagonites as Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, which was an Egyptian. In addition, Ishmael's wife was also an Egyptian, making the Ishmaelites three-quarters Egyptian. Nevertheless, all these different people, the Edomites and the Ishmael, Amalek, Moab, you know, all of them are major players in the Middle East today. These people are known as jihadists or Islam fundamental, and they make up what is known as the Arab or the Muslim world. Today, these people inhabit the nations of Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, United Arab Emirates, Jordan, Egypt, Libya, Sudan, Morocco, and Tushan, and many more. These are the pseudo-nations of the Palestine. In Psalms 83, the list of groups of the people are confederacies, meaning that they're the main enemies of Israel. Today, there exists a whole worldwide jihad against the West, particularly aimed at the great Satan, the United States, and despised Jews, which is the state of Israel. The physical descendants of the ancient Israelites, the English-speaking people, the Democrats of the Northwest Europe, and the Jewish diaspora are the standard bearers of the Western civilization. The same players are still in the game who has initiated the conflicts over the last several years. For the most part, it was the Islams or the fundamental Arabs that have been the aggressors. The terrorists have mainly come from Saudi Arabia, Palestine, Libya, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, North Africa, and Iraq, and that's all Arab nations. The philosophy or the religious underpinning of these attacks have been the source of the virtual or violent anti-West teachings that spread through Saudi Arabia. The militant pan-Arab socialists that uh, come from the areas of Palestine, Syria, Iraq, and Egypt and, and such are, are part of it. So they don't like what the Israelites are still putting out today that Jesus is Lord, that he came and died for our sins. And he rose himself up on a third and pointed day, and now he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. They don't like that teaching. So where does most of the attacks take place? 
Although most of them occur in the Middle East, they have been primarily against the Western interest. Terror organizations have targeted Western people, the planes, helicopters, ships, homes, shops, hotels, and embassies. Everything Western seems to be fair game to them. For example, the bombing in Beirut against the U.S. military installation in 1993 killed hundreds of Marines on their base. The jihadists attacked the U.S. main line back in September 11, 2001, when they hit the Twin Towers. The State of Israel, of course, has endured heavy share of their militant Islam violence since they were founded in 1948. More recently, Britain, Australia, France, Netherlands, Denmark, and other prominently Islamic nations have also suffered terrorist attacks. There's no way of discounting the terrorism that has struck the non-Israelite, but the Western nations like Spain and Italy. So putting Psalms 83 together with what we know about the nation's ancestors and what we see in the evening news, these prophecies are coming to pass right before our eyes. And despise these people coming against the uh, God's people, we're still seeing God's people come through this uh, they're they're uh, surviving sure they're losing some people but uh, the enemy's not winning the battle in matthew 27 22 pilate said to them what shall you do with jesus that is called christ that say against him let him be crucified and the governor said why what evil has he done but they cry out the more saying let him be crucified and Pilate saw that he could not prevail nothing, but rather a tomic was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am an innocent of the blood of this person, and you see it. They answered all the people and said that his blood be on us and our children. Nowhere does Matthew or anyone else tell us that God acquaintanced the carrying out of vengeance of those who cried and crucified him before Pilate's judgment hall. Nowhere does Matthew intimidate that God consented to the punishing of the children over the century. If he had committed himself to carrying out these people's so-called curse, he would have knowingly bound himself to violence and his own law for centuries. As we know, the Old Testament and history has since demonstrated the Jews have repeatedly rejected God and treated his oracles underfoot, treaded his oracles underfoot, disregarded God. Today, many are the Jews that have forsaken God and joined the vanguards of the liberal atheism in the law, arts, political and science, and education in virtually every human endeavor. Throughout their history, many Jews have scorned God's revelation, purposely making themselves a profane people. So the corollary of Christ's principle applies as stated in Luke 12 and 47 and that any servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. So the Jews more than a single people in history knew God's will. They understood it. They were given God's will by God himself to their leaders and and it was written down and they were told time and time and showed time and time again how great God was and how God wanted to work for him. So as an expressed in the oracles, his revelation to them, 
they have often rejected it. Not all of them, but most of them. As often as they do, their penalty will be the stripes. They will be tormented and, and come against. I don't like it and you don't like it, but that's their trial in the wilderness to show them who they are and what they are and how they need to change, how they need God more than they need to breathe. So we'll close in a prayer on this. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that when we're stumbling around in the wilderness, you're our light that shows us the way. You're the path that we need to follow, Lord. Lord, when we get off the path, we know that the bars and the thickets and the, the wild animals and the things can get us, Lord. But if we stay on that path, the one that you put us on, and we follow it, Lord, we'll come through the end and we'll overcome and conquer. We thank you, Lord, and we bless your name. Amen. I want to take a minute to talk to you about Buzzsprout. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new market or a channel, may I suggest that you share your thoughts and your ideas with the world. And it's just so fun to have a talk show. Podcasting is very easy, inexpensive, and a fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many more. Within minutes of finishing each recording, Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. And a team that they have at Buzzsprout is passionate in helping you succeed. They want you to succeed. Join with over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Let's go ahead and create something together. God bless you. Let me tell you about a new product that you probably need to go check out. It's called Talking Jesus Doll at JesusDoll.com. If you use my promo code Steve Kids at checkout, they'll give you an extra 10% off. With all the woke culture going out affecting kids with cartoons and toys, they're trying to separate your kids and your grandkids from the family and from God. I recommend that you introduce Jesus to your kids as early as possible. That's why we're partnering with the Talking Jesus Doll. It's a plush doll that talks. When you squeeze the hand, it speaks ten phrases that Jesus said in the Bible, from the Lord's Prayer to John 3.16 and everything in between. 
With everything that's going on, it's important to introduce our children to the love and the lessons that Jesus had for many years. I love this product, and so does everyone else. The reviews are amazing, and kids are learning the Bible verses and using the doll to minister to others. If you have kids, grandkids, nieces, and nephews, this is a perfect gift for them. It could be for Easter, birthdays, and even Christmas. Teach your kids about the Lord. Go to JesusDoll.com and use the promo code STEVEKIDS for 10% off, and God bless you.